BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be with my friends. Just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's the interest rate, stupid. Yeah, that's my take on this market is the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury spiked above 3%. Stocks then crashed, and then when the 10-year came back down, stocks recovered. Dow finishing up 84 points, S&P advancing 0.57%, and the Nasdaq actually jumping 1.63% after being crushed when rates broke through three. You know, it doesn't seem to matter what most companies do. Their stocks are hostage to Treasury as handcuffed to the 10-year. A bond, a 10-year Treasury, and it's determining everything. It's ridiculous to see what happens when you go lockstep because it chokes off any good news. Consider some of these incredible deals you got in the Dow Jones Industrial Average Stocks today. Yes, today. Stocks are real companies that make real things, that make money and return money to you. These are stocks that have inc- incredible shrinking price earnings multiples. Remember, that's how you do apples to apples. In anticipation of the Fed's next rate hike on Wednesday and the tenure today. Now, I'm not talking about the end of the day with the zenith. I am talking about the abyss. The abyss where we were at midday today, where the world seemed to think it was over. When the Dow was down 500 points, looking like there was no floor, no exit. Before we got that big oversold bounce that took us back into positive territory. Now, there were some incredible prices there for the taking, but I didn't see anybody wanting them. Oh, no. I was watching guys on TV saying, listen, there's no hope. You know, there's no hope. It's over. Forget about it. Rich people, of course, don't want you to make money. All right, why don't we start with American Express? Okay, here's a stock that's been slaughtered, slaughtered beyond all recognition, frankly, and it's shocking to me. Why? Because it should not have been laid to waste. Look at the earnings. It smashed the estimates and told a great reopening story. Did it on our show. Since then, what's happened? Well, it's going down 14 points, including three alone today. At one point, it was down seven. But that has nothing to do with Amex. It's purely the bond market talking saying the future earnings will be eroded by inflation. Yeah, it is. It's like, it's, it's like those dolls, you know, like those weird dolls. You know, they talk, mm-hmm, senior wines, this kind of thing. Then there's Coca-Cola, which reported a sizable earnings beat with management telling us their organic growth rate will accelerate to 7 or 8%. Coca-Cola? Stock spiked to 67. Oh, it's giving all that back. It's at 63. Like, who cares, right? You're getting that magnificent quarter for free. Why? Because when bond yields jump to these levels, their competition gets crushed, and the competition is high-yielding dividend stocks, like Coke. 
doesn't help that we're also worried about raw costs and freight. Look, and I, look, I get it. The two-year gives you a really great return. You get a 2.8, that's terrific. You're fine. It's fine. But I'm trying to do something bigger here. Last July, before the Fed declared war on inflation, Visa, yes, traded at 250 bucks, even though we had no idea how it was doing. Last week, Visa reported a commanding quarter. I could argue it was probably best ever. By the way, you can say the same thing about MasterCard. And what happens? Well, the stock ramps 10%, as it should. Briefly trades at 220. Now it's back down to 211. At one point today, it was 207. Once again, it's not that Wall Street hated the quarter. It's that this market's unwilling to reward a great company with a higher share price because the whole asset class stinks right now. And the bond market smell like a rose. I wish you could see how angry I was that my charitable trust failed to pull the trigger on J&J before that magnificent quarter when the divisions are all going full throttle. Consumer, pharma, formerly underperforming medtech. We had to watch the stock fly from 177 to 186. I mean, it was just incredible. I just said, they know nothing, meaning me. Guess what? Earlier today, it was back at 177. All I could say was like, Hey, no thanks. I'm scared, too. Woo! At least for now. As stocks are frantically adjusting to this new world, where the 10-year yield is north of 3%. Suddenly, J&J's 2.5% yield is a lot less enticing, right? Who needs that? Who needs that? Well, forget it's a great American company. Who needs that? Next up, it's hard to do better than the United Health Group, which had a pyrotechnic beat, much better than expected earnings, insanely better than expected earnings. And that's why the stock immediately spiked to 553. You'd think it would be a slam dunk. It's about 50 points, except just over two weeks later, the stock's back to 501. Extraordinary decline for this pristine company. Again, it has nothing to do with the, price, with the company itself. It's all about the price earnings multiple. The market's simply not willing to pay as much for these future earnings in this new environment. Whenever interest rates rise rapidly, price earnings multiples start shrinking. So what do we want? We don't want Coca-Cola. We don't want American Express. We don't want Visa. We don't want United Health. What else do we not want? How about Goldman Sachs? Yeah, once again, they shot the lights out of this thing, earning $10.76. I don't know. I would have been happy with 9 bucks. Did they do $10.76? Hey, you know what? Who cares? Once again, it wasn't enough to get the stock any respect. In fact, Goldman's price earnings bubble was now shrunk from nine times earnings to roughly eight times earnings. That's a stunning decline in what this market's willing to pay for a great American investment bank. Yes, I work there. Remember, this is not about forecasting the future of Goldman's business. It's just that the market's paying less for nearly all merchandise. Even that merchandise is earning much more than we thought. So what do we do with Goldman Sachs? Well, let's throw that the hell out. Jeez. Hey, remember how, how worried we were that Nike would get crushed because China was falling apart? Oh, those worries were unfounded. Nike posted a huge beat. China wasn't even a problem. Initially, the stock falls from 130, just under 140. Yes! But now the whole move's been repealed. It's down 126. It's like the quarter never happened. Let's get rid of that, son of a bitch. That, that stock. How about IBM? That magnificent quarter. Right. Push it from 129 to 141. Real breakout, at least until the stock rolled over back to 133 today. At one point, it was at 130. That's an amazing downfall for a stock that reflected the new, leaner, meaner IBM. OK, so we'll throw that one out, too. Why not? Just forget those. All right. Now, sure, there were some real just awful. I mean, Boeing had a very bad quarter. No, but very bad. What am I like, kidding? It was it was it stunk. 3M? Eh, nothing to write home about there. Um, but I could go on with five more companies in the Dow. I could have fitted them in this, but it started to say, oh, man, I'm almost up to like 1,400 words, which is how long the top is. That's the way we think. Now, I want to be crystal clear. When stocks are going down all at once with no place to hide, like we saw earlier today, then it has nothing to do with the companies themselves. It has nothing to do with these companies. Nothing. These are great American companies, and you could own a piece of them. When you buy here, I know you're fighting both the tape and the Fed. 
which is going to tighten hopefully aggressively on Wednesday to get these defeatists out of my face. The 10-year touchstone 3% for its yield pulled back in the afternoon. And that's all about inflation and because the Fed will soon be dumping its bond holdings. So I expect higher, even higher rates. And that's why they keep throwing these away. Now, you might think that some of these stocks were too cheap to ignore at the lows. We certainly did some buying for the Chapel Trust because the proprietary S&B oscillator that I've told you about a gazillion times hit a negative five reading, which means you got to start buying and you can't sell anymore. It's just the way it is, except for 2007, 2008. But we were taking our lives in our hands with these buys because if Treasury yields had kept climbing, we would have been crushed. And that's why we only committed a fraction of our cash, about 1% of our precious cash, I should add, because if we had gone to three and a quarter in the tenure, then everything I bought, well, let's just say, would show that inflation wasn't peaking. More on that later. You can't be confident that the pain is over. So why we buy it all? Because I think things are better than others do. I think the asset class is nowhere near as tainted as some seem to believe. I'm willing to take a beating in order to purchase stocks that are just too cheap at the moment, even with that darn tenure at three. I bet they'll turn out to be great buys someday, sometime. I just don't know when. Maybe today, given the rebound from the lows. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next year. I don't care. I want pieces of these great American companies. Here's the bottom line. This is my eighth tightening cycle. I know from experience that if you wait until the Fed is done and inflation is broken, it'll be too late to buy. You'll have to anticipate the the peak in inflation, just like today, where the market looks so treacherous, and then turn placid. You have to accept some short-term losses. Remember, unless you take them or not. If you can't take the pain, though, go ahead and swap into treasuries now that they're yielding near 3%. It's a decent rate. Go knock yourself out. Me? I want to do better. John in Texas. John. Jim Cramer, a Texas says booyah to you. Well, that's a pretty darn big booyah, okay, and I'll take it. Good About deal. 10 times the size hey. of the Russians, just so we keep in perspective. What's going on? Yes, sir. Hey, I called in to talk to you about liquefied natural gas stocks. I love Chenier Energy. Uh, I've been with them for quite a while. And I'm thinking, I'm not saying they flatlined, but their stock is ranging, you know, 135 to 150. And uh, I really am thinking about cashing some of it out and going with uh, Telluride. well, you know what? That's, I, know I, what I like that idea. That? Now, you know, Shanir was set up by Sharif Suki, the great Sharif Suki. When it was at $8, he came on the show. He said he was buying a ton of it for himself. Boom. Pick up 150 points. You, can, you can't do that in treasuries, by the way. I like the idea of going to Tellurian uh, because that's also him. Now, he's chairman there. He's not day to day. But Tellurian's a nice option on what's going to be the strongest country on Earth when it comes to natural gas, which, by the way, is not Russia. OK, it's not Qatar. It's going to be United States. All right, look at this. Oh, here's some good companies. Uh, we don't want to touch them, right? I mean, you can't touch them because there's some bond that is like, like it's called 10. All right? This ain't my first rodeo. I know that if you wait until the Fed is done and inflation is broken, it's going to be too late, and they will break it. But you may have to take some short-term losses. Hey, but you know what? There's this great thing. If you can't take the pain, just go buy treasuries. Watch the show. A little extra enjoyment. Man, money tonight. Air Environment has sent 700 drones to aid the Ukraine, uh, aid, ooh, aid Ukraine in its fight against Russia. And I'm learning more about the company powering the defensive technology with the CEO. I think if it was 7,000, the war would be won. But I don't know if the NSC wants to do that. Best Buy has a plan to be a strong corporate citizen. I'm discussing the company's latest initiative with the company's top brass. And Five Nine has soared in the last week after earnings. So what was behind this quarter? Was it Kathy Wood? Huh? Well, you got to stay for the interview. Stick with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Since the beginning of last year, our government has committed $4.6 billion to helping Ukraine fight off the Russian invasion. President Biden is now talking about increasing that number, maybe even dramatically. But there's all kinds of military assistance, some more useful than others. Personally, I was heartened when I heard several weeks ago that we were given Ukraine a specific arm drone. It was called the switchblade. There are different kinds. You can go look them up on the website. We were able to fly around for several hours, then identify an appropriate target before flying right into it, kamikaze style. We're familiar with the Switchblade because we know the company behind it, a relatively small defense contractor called Aero Environment that makes some of the best drones in the business. They even let me fly an unarmed version a few years ago. At this point, 700 of these Switchblades have been committed to Ukraine, and we want to know more about what that means to both the battlefield and Aero Environment's business going forward. So let's go straight to the source. I'm really excited about this. we got Waheed Nawabi. He's the chairman and CEO of Aero Environment, straight-shooting guy, Mr. Nawabi. Welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you. Okay, so Wahid, it is vital that the Ukrainians, I think, get the 300 and 600, both to be able to identify targets, but also to take out tanks. Are you are is our government giving and ordering enough? And can you handle the orders? So the the short answer is yes, they are uh, providing both of them to the Ukrainian uh, uh, military and government. Uh, we stand ready. We have plenty of manufacturing capacity. We could obviously use some help in terms of expediting the contract process and uh, putting us uh, somewhat higher in the supply chain to be able to get access to parts and especially the semiconductors and microelectronics in order to make a lot of them, make thousands of them. We do have the factory in U.S. that can produce thousands of the switchblade, 300 and 600. It's dedicated to that uh, switchblade line. Are people buying, uh, people who are sympathetic to the Ukrainian cause, uh, going to the website, uh, buying these, and sending them to Ukrainians? Are you referring to the U.S. government? No, I'm wondering whether people who are, uh, who feel that the Russians are wrong, have gone to your website, you can order these, and are you allowed to give them to the Ukrainians? So, yes, the U.S. government has uh, given us uh, support to be able to export Switchblade to uh, many of our allies, specifically to Ukraine, and we're working with them on that process. There's two ways we can 
provide switchblade to them. One is through a foreign military sale through the U.S. government, mm -hmm. where we provide the systems to the U.S. government, and then gov the U.S. government uh, takes care of the shipments to Ukraine. And the second way is that we could actually make direct commercial sales to the Ukrainian military, and we're working both angles at this time. Okay, that's what I wanted to know, because it seems that if our government's going to wait and dither, it's not going to happen fast enough. Now, you've got a competitor here in this Phoenix Ghost. What do they have that yours doesn't have? Uh, so there's a lot of misinformation about the Phoenix Ghost and uh, relative to Switchblade, Jim. Uh, Switchblade is extremely unique. It, there is nothing like Switchblade that is truly a tube-launched loitering missile system. Um, to our knowledge, uh, the, the Ghost UAV, it's a multi-rotor UAV that can carry some sort of um, uh, weapon systems, but it's not very clear. I do know that Switchblade is unmatched and uh, um, unparalleled in its mission capabilities and its, its features and the way it operates. Uh, it is a complete different class called a loitering missile, and that's very different than what, what I know and what I've heard about the uh, Ghost UAV. But what I saw when you came here was something where it is possible that you could literally see someone uh, with a joystick and they would be looking up and they would be obliterated. Uh, is that happening even to me, perhaps to generals of the Russian side? So I can't comment specifically to the Ukraine conflict because of the security and safety of our uh, allies and our military. What I can tell you is that what you described is exactly the type of mission that Switchblade is designed for. Switchblade 600 specifically has got the similar to a Javelin warhead, but it goes 10 times further. And you can launch it without the operator being dis 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 disclosed or known as to where they are. You can also launch it without having a target on your visible light, uh, eyesight. And so because it can go 10 times further and it can loiter for almost one hour when it gets to the area, it makes it an ideal weapon system for the kind of conflict that we're seeing right now in Ukraine. And, and it can take out a tank. It can take out a tank. The lead tank in a, in a convoy of tanks going to eastern Ukraine, it can take out the, the first tank. That's right. It, can, it, it is really, literally, if the Ukrainians had thousands of switchblades, 300 and 600, in their hands, this conflict would have had a completely more severe outcome for the Russians today. Because the type of caravan of artillery and uh, tanks and armored vehicles that we saw and supply vehicles, they could be taken out like literally popcorns with switchblades. Because one operator can also launch multiple switchblades wow. and literally put them on loiter and then uh, uh, designate targets one at a time or more and on the same time and then take out several, several targets at once. Wow. This is a capability that is really, really unique and unmatched in the entire world. In terms I of hope they are listening. One other thing. Uh, the other company that had been dead, I felt was dominant, was a company called DJI. Uh, they are Chinese, sir. The Chinese have no interest in helping our military, have no interest in helping our country. How did they get to be such a dominant player? And will the army really still use anything they have? So to my knowledge that they're not allowed to be used in the military applications, they are really a consumer, prosumer drone company rather than a uh, industrial and in, in, uh, military grade a, a capability. Uh, none of their UAVs that we know that we are very familiar with have the kind of tip, capability that our systems have. 
and they don't really operate in types of environments that our systems can operate. The Jump 20 medium UAS, which you see a picture here above me, it's a Group 3 UAV that can actually even carry switchblades under its wings. This is a UAV that's made for this type of conflict. They can fly up to 13 plus hours. You're talking hours of operations and flight time versus minutes. And that's a complete different ball game when it comes to this type of a conflict. If someone's watching and they are intent on trying to stop the Russians, should they, what should they do, write their congresspeople, write someone to be able to say, listen, I just watched this gentleman who's from Afghanistan who knows what the Russians can do, and I want those machines in the hands of people who are our friends. What do they do? So you're absolutely right, Jim. Uh, I was born and raised in Afghanistan and came to the United States because of the uh, Soviet invasion and conflict in Afghanistan in the early 1980s. And so I know firsthand exactly how the Ukrainians feel and the disruption and the chaos and the catastrophe that this has caused to their nation and their people is just heartbreaking. And so we stand by them. We sustain by our military. And we need to equip them with this capability because the Russians don't really have a defeat system for this. This is the capability that is changing the outcome and will completely change the outcome. They have thousands of them in their hands. All right. I hope people are watching. I hope people are watching because I knew if I had you on, people would get it. They hear the truth and they just did. That's why Ibn Wabi, he's chairman, president, CEO of Aero Environment. I've used these machines. These machines are what the Ukrainians need. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Great have, to be with you. May have money's back into the break. Coming up, last month, Kramer got to the bottom of Best Buy. Get ready for another chapter of this consumer electronics story next. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All this week, the network's under the NBC News umbrella. We're holding our second annual Inspiring America event. Here at CNBC, we are talking with unbelievable people, outstanding business leaders whose innovative practices inspire their employees, their customers, and the world at large. And that's why earlier today we spoke to Corey Barry, the CEO of Best Buy, who does such a good job, talking about her business and the great work she's done creating teen tech centers where underprivileged kids learn how to use cutting-edge technology that they would never have gotten at their schools. Take a look. It's a great thrill to be with you, Corey. The thing that I want to talk about most is the fact that a lot of our younger watchers will not even think about buying a stock unless they know what you're doing to help society. You are an innovative leader. That's why we've come to you. Why don't you talk about some of the things that you're doing? Because they may not short term help the earnings, but long term, they're fabulous. 
Yeah, I'm going to start there, actually, Jim. Fundamentally, we believe that the work we're doing, social, environmental, drives long-term value creation for the company. And you know, I always start with our purpose. Our purpose is to enrich lives through technology. That's not just for one segment of customers. That is for society at large. So one of our efforts is our teen tech centers. We've been opening these since 2013, and we now have 47, 46 of them, excuse me, open. I get excited. And they are after-school facilities for kids. We start in middle school where they can have a safe environment, usually paired with a local nonprofit, and they have access to tech. Everything from 3D printing to sound mixing to graphic design to coding, all of the tech that they may not otherwise have access to. The whole trick here is access for disinvested communities so they can start to see careers and start to literally at high school ages build award-winning photography and videos and just understand what a career of the future could look like. So we have mentors, we have training. These are the pipelines for the employees of the future and they are incredibly powerful. We know they work because now we have almost 10 years of history watching our kids go through these programs. Well, I've got to take credit. I watched the video, the L.A. Community Impact Hub documentary, and what I saw were people being able to express themselves technologically that otherwise, I think, Corey, we have to admit, the school system does not provide. And that one is such an interesting example because it is a public-private effort. So we have committed $10 million for 12 teen tech centers. We're partnering with the county, who's also committing funds. We're partnering with local nonprofits like the Annenberg Foundation. And what that one builds is pipelines right into entertainment careers. So someone and one of the kids can learn about graphic design. They can learn about sound mixing or video. And then they can take those skills right into certification programs and then take them right into careers, really well-paying careers. And in the entertainment industry, almost everything is done on the back of technology. And this is the perfect example of a pipeline for the future. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, some of our people in the office were talking about how to dispose our computers. And we just said, you know what? You throw them away. There's nobody who picks them up. What a mistake. What you are doing in recycling is monumental. Well, thank you. And I am incredibly proud of the team's work here. We have been leading in recycling since 2009. We've recycled over $2 billion, or 2 billion pounds, excuse me, worth of products. And that is right now, until this point, people bringing them to our stores and us responsibly recycling those products. Because again, Jim, this isn't just like a sweater that you might dispose of. This is technical equipment. It needs to be responsibly recycled. And now to your point, we just launched a service where we will come to your home and for a fee, we will take two large products, think appliances or TVs and unlimited small products. We will take them from you and we will responsibly recycle, reuse, refurbish, get those products back into the ecosystem responsibly. All right. Tell me what it's like to work at Best Buy and advance yourself. You have a social impact officer. If people come up with ideas, and I know they do, how do they express them? How does it move up the chain? And how do they get valued for doing the right thing? I think one of the most unique aspects at Best Buy is the the long-term careers that we create. You and I have talked before. Our general managers right now have 6% turnover. So they have vested interest in their communities, in their employees, 
in their customers. And we have very robust communication pipelines that go back and forth continuously, roundtables, events, every chance that we have to hear directly from our associates, directly from our general managers, because they're the ones. And actually, many of the ideas come straight from our customers. To your point exactly about the conversation you're having with your friends, we hear straight from a customer, I wish you would just blank, come to my house to pick this up. I wish you would refurb this product. I wish you would take back my product and give me money if it's worth something. All of those started from our customers, from our employees, and now they're a huge differentiator in what we do. All right, just to pivot for a second, you are in touch with your people who are on the floor, and we love them. I go to Best Buy all the time. The one thing I can tell you, though, is that they know what's hot and what's not. We spoke before about the gaming cycle. I am beginning to believe that the gaming cycle is running its course because people want to be out. Are you seeing that? Here's what's interesting about what what we kind of refer to as the gaming cycle. Gaming is much bigger than any cycle. It is social. It is VR. It is console. It is computing. It is for fun, but it's also in competition. Gaming, the definition of it, has expanded massively. So this isn't just about consoles or a hot title. This is about amazing gaming computers, which are the highest end of the computing that we sell. This is about VR headsets and the future of what gaming looks like. This is actually about social. This is about how we communicate amongst each other, especially how my kids, I watch them, that's how they talk to their friends. And so I think this is about more than just any one cycle. This is about continued, we believe, engagement in gaming across a multitude of platforms. Now, we continue to hear that the consumer is the only part of this economy that's left that hasn't rolled over. But the consumer is so strong, the Fed has to take action. Do you see a consumer that comes to your store and buys good stuff and, by the way, joins up for a system where they come to your house because they're working at home? We need your system. Are you seeing that at all? Are you seeing continual buying? And are you seeing what I regard as being ubiquity of home electronics? I think for us, that is what we believe is our reason to exist on the planet. We believe the future, the way we live in almost every aspect will be lived using technology. Hybrid work is one model, but think even in your kitchen, everything that's connected, your entertainment, the gaming that we were just talking about, your car is connected to your garage, your outdoor system, your pool might be run with an app. Everything in our lives is connected to technology. And that's why this isn't just about a a want anymore. This is about a need and a way of living that fundamentally has changed faster than we ever thought in the last two years, where people are using technology genuinely to live their lives. Well, Corey, I want to thank you for coming on Mad Money. And yes, much more important, thank you for inspiring America. You're on the list. Everything I heard makes me so excited about how business is the greatest force of social change. Corey Barry, CEO of Best Buy, thank you so much. Thank you. For the last six months, the high-growth tech stocks have been getting what I like to call the Buscemi treatment. Yes, meaning they've been tossed in the wood chipper. Like Steve Buscemi, remember when he did it in Fargo? Look, at a certain point, you got to wonder, maybe they've got some value, that the higher-quality names have come down too far too fast. It's something that I'm puzzled by and I think about all the time. So you take a 5.9. That's a cloud-based contact center software company. Okay, I'll get this. These guys posted probably one of the best quarters that I've seen this year. 
Uh, the stock got cut in half from its highs last summer due to where it was trading before the latest. But none of that ever had much to do with Five Nine's business. The stock simply belonged to a group that went out of style in the Wall Street fashion show the moment the Federal Reserve declared war on inflation. The market was what I call undiscerning. When Five Nine reported last Thursday night, they delivered a clean top and bottom line beat with very bullish guidance for the current quarter. Management even raising their full year forecast. If you want to, I think it's worth pointing out that they're EBITDA, they were EBITDA positive. Yes, it was adjusted, but it was real. Plus, unlike so many cloud software companies, they have the added advantage of being, I would say, one of the most lucrative companies in the group. And that's why the stock jumped 7% on Friday, even as the broader market got pummeled. And it tacked on another 5% today. Don't get me wrong. It's a difficult market. Fast cloud, uh, fast going cloud stocks have been crushed. Uh, but it's clear Wall Street got too negative on 5.9. So could this be the beginning of a larger comeback? Let's take a closer look with Rowan Trollope. He's a CEO of 5.9, been on a number of times. Get up, you're reading the quarter where his company's headed. Mr. Trump, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, good to see you. Thanks for having me on again. Okay, so, Ron, I, I had to go into that, uh, that preface. I usually don't like to go that long, simply because I think people must feel, well, there must be something dreadfully wrong at your company, the company that it could have traded at 2.11, and then it traded at 1.10. But in reality, this was by far your best quarter, and the EBITDA positive, I could say, is a true number. Yeah. Now, definitely, our, our focus as a company has always been on balanced growth and bottom line profitability. We have a very, very sharp focus on, on efficiency of, of, uh, of revenue and efficiency of growth. And so, you know, look, the, the business is the same. We keep kicking butt and we had another great quarter. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to talk about a win, uh, a, a 40, well, it's $44 million win for what you do. And I, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give you a non- uh, these guys did not, were not the client, but I'm going to tell you about something that happened this weekend. And you tell me what 5.9 would have done your pol- in conjunction with the company that you got the order from. So I wanted to get my booster. Um, so I called. I went through the litany with the drugstore, okay? And went to, the, went to the drugstore knowing that I could get the shot. And I got there, and not only was it not, were they not able to give me a shot, they weren't even open. OK, I will never go back to that place. You know, why I'll never go back to that place because in my chain that I did on my phone call, they directed me there. They did not have any what I regard as artificial intelligence or intelligence. If I call a five nine shop, could that happen? No, no, Jim, it would not happen. And we have uh, the healthcare segment has been particularly strong lately. So the forty four million dollar ARR, that's annual recurring revenue. Uh, win that we had last quarter was in the healthcare segment, global conglomerate, and they are laser focused on customer experience and making sure that, for example, someone like you who comes in to go get a vaccine, that they're, that yet that you have an incredible experience because as we've all experienced, including myself, like that is not always the greatest experience. Sometimes it's maddening, right? You go in and you, and you get to the shop and it's not even open. That should never happen in this day and age. And when companies are finally realizing, and this is one of the largest companies in the world, uh, are finally realizing that the cloud is the way to go. And not only that, but our IVA technology, intelligent virtual agent, is one of the big drivers because they're starting to see that they can drive automation in a way that they never could before and in a way that also is really delightful for the end customer, you in this case. So you don't have to speak to a human being but you can still have a really good experience, whether that's on voice or also on text or SMS, which is how a lot of us want to communicate these days. Yes. I mean, look, I, I 
I don't know what artificial intelligence means necessarily. You're going to help me. I clearly wanted a booster shot, and I wanted it now. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, that is not a difficult precept in the era of COVID. Would your software be able to understand what I wanted? Absolutely. So the technology has really come a long way from what most companies, probably the experience you had, that are are currently using, which is pre-machine learning, pre-artificial intelligence, you know, directed dial or, or, you know, IVRs. Push one if you want to get a vaccine. Push Okay. Now we're talking about a computer that can understand your voice. So tell us, you know, Mr. Kramer, we see it's you calling. Tell us why you're calling. I would like to get a vaccine. The computer can understand that and say, oh, okay, I've, I've got these four locations near you. It already knows where you are, where you can go get a vaccine. The earliest appointment is Monday at 9 a.m. Would you like me to schedule that for you? That's what the experience should be like. And that's the kind of experience that we can create using our software. So it's much, much better than what you're used to. Well, what was interesting was in the conference call, you actually said, look, we couldn't do this initially. And we were somewhat like other legacies, but this just developed. So tell, walk me through how you figured this out, because that's the five nine advantage. Yeah, absolutely. So we acquired a company two years ago called Inference Systems, who were, according to analysts, the best technology company in this segment. And that was kind of step one for us in moving in this path. We have a huge base of existing customers, but we're also driving lots of new customer sales and we're able to scale up to the largest companies in the world. So we're able to take this IVA, Intelligent Virtual Agent Technology, and share it with all of our customers and say, look, this is something that we can now do. And part of the secret sauce here is the architecture and the approach that we've taken. So we actually partner with the Amazons and Googles and Microsofts of the world, as opposed to competing with them. And so that's a a world of difference because Amazon, Microsoft, and Google are all investing significant amounts of money into human computer interactions using voice, right? Speaking to your computer. And as a result, we kind of get to stand on the shoulders of giants there. And it gives our customers a much better answer than you know, what we could potentially deliver and what most of our competitors are doing, trying to deliver all this on your own, really hard. Now, do you think the uh, conversation about your company is at last uh, devoid of any discussion of Zoom? <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up, Jim. Yeah, well, I, uh, I had to because I, getting played, it I talked about it forever when it happened. Rowan, you, you got to give me that. I did talk about it forever because I wanted it to happen. Yeah. No, look, we, we are past that. And the, the investors are not asking us about that at this point. We are getting our investors love to see the growth. So we posted, like you said, an awesome quarter top and right. bottom line raised both top and bottom line for the full year. That's what they want to see. That's the five nine that they've always known and loved, which right. is this very right. consistent, durable growth story. And we have a path to two point four billion dollars, uh, you know, by 2024. That is our goal. And to achieve that takes a 32% CAGR from where we are to getting Mm -hmm. there. And you can see that I've been saying consistently for the last few years that our enterprise subscription business is going to continue to grow in the mid thirties. So you just do the math and you can see this business is just monotonically increasing. And that's why I like your stock. And I like what you're doing because you can do the math. You see a profitability path. It's already there when it comes to adjusted EBITDA. It's what I trust. Rowan Trout is the CEO of five, nine F I V N. It is worth looking at this conference call. It is so good. Rowan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Jim. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder. 
and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski that time. Lighting comes my to start knitting in Illinois. Knitting. Yeah, Tim. Booyah. Hey, I wanted to get your opinion on stock that's been getting uh, destroyed lately. So far, technology. It's been getting destroyed. I don't know. I mean, it's. I, you correctly summarize the situation. Let's go to Brad in Connecticut. Brad. Hey, Jim, how are you? Thanks I am good. How are you? I'm good. Today is my anniversary, so I want to say a uh, shout-out to my wife, who I love, and I wanted to anniversary a call that you had with CEO Donald McClement, who is the CEO of Indy, I-N-D-I. Well, yeah. Um, hmm. The uh, only two semis in that space that you want on are NXPI and OnSemi. Those are the ones... They had great numbers. They shot the lights out. Let's go to Heidi in Nevada, please. Heidi. Hi, Jim. So my question is Edwards Life Sciences. They're down a lot since the earnings report, which was actually a good report, but also there's no dividends. Do I buy more, hold, or sell? I want you to buy more. I thought that court was very good. I'm very surprised the stock did not go up. There really was no flies on that. If you do want uh, medical medical tech. The J&J med tech is going to be very good. I would buy J&J in 77 all day. Ron and Marilyn, Ron. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Penico stock is selling below 17 a share. Apollo Funds is uh, purchasing the stock for, for $20 a share later this year. Is it smart to buy it now? And make I am not an arbitrageur. I cannot answer that question, sir. I'd rather own uh, Magna. Uh, that gives me uh, auto exposure without a problem. And that, legend, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, planes, trains, and automobiles. Kramer takes a walk down Commodity Lane and puts inflation in perspective. Next. Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. The monumental nature on a percentage basis of what's going on is freaking people out. But I like it. I like it because it's getting rid of all the weak hands. And if someone comes in and buys all the Chevron they want and Oxy and they get that good yield. And next thing you know, you hear Apollo. They're getting a rate of return. And I say, stop panicking. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. I'm hearing way, way too many people claim that inflation's become endemic. Not for the Federal Reserve to do about it. These people are defeatists. They look at inflation in the aggregate. They make sweeping forecasts that will be forgotten by the time the Fed gets things under control. And, and believe me, the Fed will get under control. No white flag. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I think they underestimate the kind of ingenuity that can help us stamp out or at least cool down inflation. Maybe we don't go much higher than 3% on the tenure if things play out as I described. And I'm not just talking about a 5-9, being able to make it so that you don't need one extra person, which is true. So why don't we do this? Let's start with steel. Steel's been, been roaring. Best steel maker in the world is Nucor. I'd be kicking myself because uh, we sold it way too soon for the Chapel Trust. But now it's almost back to the price where we rang the register. 
falling from just under 188 to around 150. We feared this would happen when we owned it for the trust. We didn't want it to drop on us. As much as we love Nucor, we know what happens to the steals at this point in the business cycle. Similarly, Cleveland Cliffs just round trip from 25 to uh, 34 and back. These are gigantic declines, people, that signal a peak in the sky-high price of steel. That's one of the biggest input costs that made so many companies, especially the autos, miss their expense targets. How about Alcoa? Oh, boy, aluminum's really crushed the auto companies. Alcoa's the kingpin. Now, that stock's round trip from the mid-60s to 98 and back. This one's a little trickier because it had a tremendous demand when reported. But we've now seen reports of orders slowing. Why? Because people are putting in fewer orders. If we're going to have a recession, makes sense. Hey, we had warehouses on Friday. Hey, largest landowner in the country. I thought this lumber company told a great story. But today, the stock caught a vicious downgrade. Buy to hold because the upside is limited. What would it be limited by? How about the looming slowdown in housing and exports to Japan, the latter being a real stagnant market and the former being hurt by interest rates? But I've heard a lot of people say to go buy a Freeport McMoran. You know, play the copper boom. They're the best we have. I say, what copper boom? I think it happened already. How else do you explain the stock's collapse from 52 in March to 40 now? I bet the decline won't stop anytime soon because China, biggest market for copper, has locked down vast swaths of its economy, which kind of limits their demand for the metals. Lots of money managers believe the grain complex simply can't be stopped. You hear it over and over. Fed can't stop wheat. Fed can't. Will you listen to me for a second? Wheat, soybeans, corn, they trade as instruments. But as Carly Garner, our resident commodities expert, explained to me, we have been bit up by hedging speculators, no doubt because they're worried about Ukraine. It's not about organic demand. Corn's up for similar reasons. There's some innate demand there. Soy could be up for, uh, could be due for a good slide. Why? Well, you need some good weather. In other words, the whole grain complex could roll over with or without J-PAL. What else? All right, last week, Amazon reported a terrible number. I hate to say that, but it's true. And it said they had too many workers. Since they bit up the talent pool to begin with, it's almost like they have a ready-trained new economy workforce that's about to be unleashed in the rest of corporate America. I have to wonder what happens when they start laying off truck drivers. Take a look at FedEx and UPS, both hitting 52-week lows today. Looks like we are not going to have much of a truck insurance soon. Then consider used cars. Oh, they're starting to fall in value. Now, used cars, they're very big in these indices, okay, in the CPI. Now, this ethical Carvana, we've had them a bunch of times. They paid 10% interest on a huge bond offering last week. That's not a sign of health. CarMax disappointed. Used car prices, they have peaked. Put it all together, and you got a ton of important costs that could soon start coming down, which leaves just a few highly visible inflation drivers, oil, natural gas, and housing. Now, I don't have that much hope for oil, which is why charitable trust is loaded with them, until the war in Ukraine ends. Supply is too hard to come by. If it weren't for the daily million barrel depletion from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, who knows where or how high oil would be? Much higher? Natural gas has been pushed up by the cold April, but also because speculators bid up the fuel. An expectation President Biden would start promoting liquefied natural gas exports to Europe by any means necessary. I don't know if he can do that because he's so anti-fossil fuel. I just think he's just torn. Housing, though, I think the last big gas of home builders came over the last couple of months when buyers locked in low mortgage rates in March and April, knowing they were going to buy a home. So they got that rate. Plus, an outfit like Horton raised its average price by 25 grand. I mean, this is year of year. This is a company that caters to younger buyers. As prices and mortgage rates surge higher, eventually demand dries up and we go from a housing shortage to a housing glut, which is where I think we will be sometime this summer, especially if the 30-year goes from 5.5, where it is now, to 6%, and it's sure a 6% written all over it. All these things are peaking simply because the Fed said it has to happen. Even a few commentators or communicators seem to notice. I notice. Now I hope you have too. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.